Hello and welcome to the Informed Traveler podcast, a travel podcast where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. Well, this is the time of year where we look back on the past year and a time to reflect on some of the highlights of the year. And in doing that, I'd have to say that visiting Denver, Colorado was one of the highlights for me for 2018. And one of the many activities we did while in Denver was a tour of the historic Brown Palace Hotel. And I got a chance to sit down with hotel historian Deborah Faulkner and learn all about the Brown Palace Hotel and the history of Denver. So we're going to replay that conversation for you. And later in our podcast, we'll head to New York City, a place that seems to outdo everyone when it comes to New Year's Eve celebrations. But to begin the podcast, we are joined by Mary Jane Hebert. She is the board chair for ACTA, that's the Association of Canadian Travel Agencies and the general manager for Canada One Travel. And we're going to have a look back at what the kind of year it was for travel agents this year. Hi, Mary Jane. Hello. Uh, we're going to talk about the uh, year, the past year it was, 2018. And I was trying to think about uh, any outstanding stories or uh, that sort of thing. And Really, there wasn't there wasn't much in the way of uh, you know news headline breakers, was there this year? No, it was actually a pretty static year in that way. I mean, there were things that always happen, and there are things interior-wise that maybe the public aren't aware of um, that are going on. But really, there was nothing that was monumental or catastrophic. Which I guess is good. You know what I was thinking of? Maybe uh, this year was uh, kind of the hangover for Canada 150. How was it overall? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it was a busy year. It's been a really busy year. Um, I think people are still traveling despite all the things that are happening in the world, which is great. They're not, you know, living in a hovel in their backyard. They want to see the world. I think there was more traffic within Canada uh, this year, or at least Canadians traveling within Canada. Um, but there are people traveling worldwide all the time. Uh, so was there anything that stood out for you in 2018 that kind of, you know, jaws your memory? What I think was uh, really a great story um, in, in unfortunate circumstances. So you had fires in the in the West Coast, mm-hmm. and I know that the airlines really stepped up to evacuate people, um, which I thought was great. We had hurricanes, of course, in the Caribbean again, and the airlines again stepped in to help evacuate people. So I think those are, in unfortunate circumstances, some great stories where you know the humanitarian uh, nature of of people and business is is still really vibrant. Mm-hmm. Well, and whenever you have some sort of uh, disaster or, or a thing that goes on, uh, travel agents uh, seem to shine throughout that, which is good for your association, right? Mm-hmm. It is great for our association, and, and really that is a great story as well in that, you know, your last resort really is your travel agent. If you have a great travel agent, they're going to help you get out of whatever situation you find yourself in that is not positive. Um, and, and, and we work hard to do that. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's why we're here. That's what we do. And I found that this year there's really um, a, lot of, a lot of the story, I guess, was um, the, the movement back to travel agents uh, as opposed to online booking individuals, uh, booking themselves. Um, there's just so much that's happening in the world that people need someone to rely on. And so there has been a movement back towards travel agents and agencies, which I think is a great story for us. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm going to back up a little bit here because there, you know, there were stories of uh, security issues, as always. And you mentioned uh, there was weather issues. Mm-hmm. So we shouldn't make light of, of some of the things that happened. Uh, were there any emerging destinations that stood out for you that, that was a surprise? Um, n- nothing 
really, I know in Winnipeg, what the talk is, uh, is possibly uh, Winnipeg to Manila direct, and that's due to the immigration within Canada from the Philippines. We have a large immigrant population here, and uh, that is standing out as being the number one wish list, um, you know, and, which I think is a little surprising because typically we have been receiving immigrants from Europe, uh, and that's still ongoing, but it seems that the vast majority are now coming from the Philippines. So I think that's an interesting concept for us here. I know that the airlines have introduced more direct flights to Europe, uh, within Europe, um, and so that's, that's nice. It sort of opens the world up a little bit nicer for everybody else. And we did have a couple of uh, low-cost carriers that uh, started up, didn't we? We did. And so, you know, they're not really agency-friendly. They don't deal with travel agents and agencies. So I don't have too much of a, a story about that, except that, you know, their future may be in jeopardy. I'm not sure how how they can survive with the low-cost uh, fares that they're offering to the public right now. Mm-hmm. I, it just doesn't seem like a model that's going to work well. Uh, and I, I believe that the, the larger carriers are trying to push them out of the market. Uh, that's always the story when we have low-cost carriers emerging in the in the industry. Mm-hmm. So looking ahead to 2019, what does your crystal ball see? Well, <laughs> I think there will be uh, ongoing issues with security. That's an ongoing and ever-changing situation. There's more problems within the world all the time. So I think that there's more um, um, advancements in security, and I think we'll hear more about that in 2019. I think that we will still see more um, service to different places in the world that we haven't seen as uh, right now from Canada. I think that's going to be something that happens in 2019 as well. Well, here's to a a good 2019. Appreciate you doing this. Mary Jane Hebert is uh, board chair for ACTA, the Association for Canadian Travel Agencies, and the uh, general manager for Canada One Travel. Uh, Happy New Year, Mary Jane. Happy New Year, Randy. And as we look back on the year, it's uh, time to reflect on some of the highlights of the year. And one of the highlights for me was visiting Denver, Colorado this past year. And one of the many activities we did while in Denver was a tour of the historic Brown Palace Hotel. And I got the chance to sit down with hotel historian Deborah Faulkner. She is a wealth of knowledge, not only about the Brown Palace Hotel, but about Denver in general. So here now is that conversation for you. You described the room that we're sitting in right now. Uh, it's the Roosevelt Presidential Suite. Yeah, it's one of three presidential suites here at the hotel. And um, the designers in 2000 selected two presidents from very different periods of Western history to theme the decor in the two new suites that they added. Our original one was the Eisenhower Suite and named for him because of all the presidents who visited the Brown. He spent the most time because Mamie was a Denver girl and her mother lived on near by Lafayette Street, so they would often stay here during his administration for four weeks or eight weeks at a time. But in 2000, they added two other presidentials, and the designers selected um, Reagan. So one of the suites is done in this California ranch style with mission-style doors, walls treated to look like stucco, leather furniture, wrought iron fixtures, horse pictures, you get the idea. (laughs) And then this is my favorite suite in the whole hotel, the Teddy Roosevelt. So it's Edwardian style, lots of dark wood paneling Mm -hmm. and wilderness and wild life touches because he was a hunter and a conservationist. No trophy heads, thank goodness. Um, It's supposed to be very reminiscent of his Sagamore Hill estate on Long Island. Uh 
Mm -hmm. Well, now we've got to back up and start with the history lesson of the Brown Hotel itself because it's, it's got such a colorful past and even the surrounding area of, the, of Denver where it's located has a colorful past. So let's chat a little bit about that. Okay. Well, when that hotel was built in 1892, it, this was kind of at the intersection, I always say, of politics and commerce <laughs> because 17th Street was the Wall Street of the West with all the banks and the stock exchanges and all of that, uh, mining exchange. And then over in the other direction here we have the state capitol building and um, that's actually how our founder and namesake started his fortune um, he donated 10 acres in the middle of his homestead property as a site for the capitol building not because he was especially generous or civic-minded he knew as that building rose <laughs> all of his surrounding property would suddenly be in great demand for the state office buildings fancy houses of the wealthy so Henry Brown's homestead became our capitol hill development that was the beginning of his fortune and that was the way he was able to finally finance this grand hotel. Um, took four years to build when it opened, August 12th, 1892. It was as Henry C. Brown's Palace Hotel. I'm glad we kind of squished it since yeah. then. And at that time, total cost to build and furnish, 125 years ago, of $2 million. Because besides being architectural gem, technological wonder for its day, with its own electrical generating coal-burning dynamos in the basement. Mm -hmm its own artesian well that still supplies all the water and every suite of rooms had hot and cold running water flush toilet shower baths right from the beginning and we were one of the first so-called fireproof hotels constructed mm -hmm. in the United States. Our architect, Frank Edbrook, was from Chicago, where they'd had a little trouble with fires in the <laughs> 1800s. So beneath the stone veneer of the building, the entire superstructure is iron, steel, concrete, wow. not a bit of wood. And even in the floors and the interior walls, it's hollow terracotta block, a type of ceramic. So they bragged about this on our letterhead for years. Absolutely fireproof hotel. <laughs> <laughs> and from the moment we opened we were considered one of the three best hotels in the entire country at the time wow. and definitely destination hotel of the west and from the beginning we attracted heads of state celebrities the social elite the business and political movers and shakers all the best people we like to think we still do describe a little bit about the, the surrounding area because um historically the the way the streets run there's an interesting story around that right right so when they laid out the streets in original denver which was down around our larimer square area about a mile south of here they ran everything parallel and perpendicular to cherry creek when Henry Brown laid out the street grid in his future Capitol Hill development, he just went with the cardinal directions, north, south, east, west. And where those two different street grids finally intersect in this part of the city, you'll notice a lot of these weird triangle-shaped <laughs> blocks and strangely angled streets like Broadway that make everyone nuts. All Henry's fault for not sticking to the plan. But it did make a very unique building. We are a perfect right triangle shape, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so tell me about the hotel today. I understand... Uh, well, just some basics, how many rooms you have and some okay. of the amenities. You have a spa now, so mm -hmm. a lot of the luxuries that people mm -hmm. are looking for nowadays, right? Right. Um, a lot of, um, I guess you would say, update things, but a lot of sort of throwback things mm -hmm. as well. Um, we're one of, I think, only two places in downtown with a special license from the city that actually allows smoking indoors in our Churchill Cigar Bar. Mm -hmm. So people can smoke cigars there, cigarettes. We do draw the line at the funny stuff. <laughs> I always say legal in Colorado, not legal in the Brown Palace. 
Alice. Um, we are a unique property in that we have three main restaurants on site. So you can enjoy three different, completely different restaurants without ever leaving the premises. Um, we've got the oldest of the three right now is the Ship Tavern. Weird thing to have in Landlock, Colorado. Um, story from that is hilarious because um, the hotel owner at the time, he was the owner for most of the um, 20th century, bought a collection of 15 gorgeous scale model sailing ships up in Cape Cod, brought them and gave them as a surprise gift to his wife, Edna, who I think was less than keen on decorating her whole mansion in big toy boats. So clever lady that she was, she suggested that um, the new tavern he was going to open in the hotel to celebrate the end of Prohibition, wow. so it was 1934, mm -hmm. that he do that in a maritime theme, a nautical theme, and she'd be so happy to contribute her ships for display and get them out of the house. So I always say the moral of this story is it's good for your marriage to own a hotel. <laughs> anyway, that's sort of your hearty tavern fare. Yeah. Um, Palace Arms Restaurant is our high-end fine dining dinner only restaurant, um, home also to an amazing collection of Napoleonic era European military antiques. Mm -hmm. And again, these were acquired by C.K. Betcher on his travels to Europe. He always had a thing for Napoleon. I think they're kind of having a garage sale in France after the war. So um, that restaurant opened in 1950. And then the other one is Ellington's Restaurant. That space has been a hotel restaurant since 1900, but there have been six different versions throughout the decade. And the one thing all those versions have shared in common is live music featured mm -hmm. in some way or another. Um, so 30s and 40s, they had the Brown Palace Orchestra played for dinner and dancing. 60s and 70s, they had the San Marco Strings who were wandering musicians in horrible Liberace jackets that would come <laughs> around and serenade you at your table. And nowadays, even though it's our breakfast, lunch, and brunch restaurant, they continue that live music tradition with our Sunday champagne brunch. There's always a live jazz combo that performs. Um, now, this is the longest... Uh, continuously opened hotel. It's never closed. Right. Never closed one since the day we opened, August 12, 1892. Um, you know, so many grand hotels all around the country during the Depression did mm -hmm. real nosedives, and a lot of them never really rebounded. Um, I think the way the Browns survived was um, the very business-savvy Betcher family, who must have quickly figured out in the Depression that there was not going to be um, that much call for um, big private dining parties as they used to have up here. And they also recognize that even a lot of the wealthiest people in Denver their friends mm -hmm. were having to downsize their living arrangements so they decided to convert our top two floors here eight and nine into private residential apartments in 1937 the skyline apartments mm -hmm. very prestigious very pricey address but the steady income from those permanent residents allowed the hotel part to continue operating without sacrificing any elegance or excellence yeah. throughout the depression world war ii and beyond mm -hmm. so i would say successful early experiment in what we now call <laughs> mixed use and yeah. think we just made up they were doing it way back in the 30s. Exactly. So there's, there's two components to the hotel now. There's a newer component uh, on the other side of the, yeah. the street, right? Yeah. In the 1950s, Colorado had a big post-war tourism boom, and the hotel wanted to add about 200, 250 additional guest rooms. And, of course, a hotel completely occupies this triangle shape 
piece of land. So they built across the street a tower annex um, across Tremont Street, and it was called the Brown Palace West. It had about 230 additional guest rooms. And we are still connected to that property with a sky bridge over Tremont. Mm -hmm. But that name caused a lot of confusion because people would book over their site unseen expecting this uh, elegant right. historic hotel <laughs> and then being a little disappointed because <clears throat> it was relatively modern. So nowadays that property has a Holiday Inn Express brand and people's expectations are greatly exceeded because you'll never stay in a Holiday Inn Express like that in your life. There's actually a service tunnel under Tremont Street and all of our housekeeping staff goes back and forth, room service goes back and forth, front desk engineering everybody. So for quite a bit less per room per night, you're getting all the service of this historic Brown Palace and if you want the history, you walk across that sky bridge. So it's a pretty great lodging value a lot of people don't know about. Yeah, you get the best of both worlds. Uh, it's a fascinating story. It's a beautiful hotel right in the heart of uh, downtown Denver and Deborah Faulkner, the uh, hotel historian with the Brown Palace Hotel in Denver. Thank you so much, Deborah. You are very welcome. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. Well, with New Year's right around the corner, the one place that seems to outdo everyone when it comes to New Year's Eve celebrations is New York City. It's a great place to visit any time of the year. So to give us some insight into what it's like to actually celebrate the New Year in New York City and what's up for 2019 is Chris Haywood. He is the Senior Vice President for Global Communications for NYC and Company. He joins us now. Hi, Chris. Good morning. Great to have you here. Well, I think uh, I've been to New York City, not during uh, the holiday season, but I think a lot of people are familiar with uh, New Year's Eve because of Dick Clark and, and all the other uh, TV shows or TV channels that cover New York City and Times Square during New Year's Eve. Is that? Uh, uh, I can't imagine what it's like to be there in person, though. It really is an extraordinary experience to be here. Um, we have about a million people uh, that line Times Square for this extraordinary moment, but there's just a pulse and an energy about it that you really just can't describe. But it's a really, really awesome experience, and it's a great way to ring in the new year. Um, and, you know, the weather is the only thing that's a bit unpredictable. We don't know exactly what it will be, but some years it's colder than others. So we tell people to bundle up and be prepared to stand outside for, for quite a few hours but seeing that ball drop is really just a sight to see and definitely worth the experience. I could only imagine. It's uh, one of those bucket list types of things, I think, for many people. But you said a million people. A million people line Times Square, and then you also have a billion people in terms of TV viewership watching this uh, take place. So it's um, it's uh, broadcast globally, as you said, Dick Clark's New York Rockin' Eve with Ryan Seacrest, um, and there'll be you know performances. Um, Ryan Seacrest and Jenny McCarthy are hosting it this year, um, but it's going to be really great, and people can come ahead of time um, to the Wishing Wall in Times Square to share their hopes and dreams for 2019, and then of course um, there's also that will um, be dropped uh, when the clock strikes midnight and the ball drops. So it's a six-ton ball. It's got 2,688 Waterford crystal triangles, 
and um, it's got 16 million different colors that will be lit up uh, from one Times Square. So it's really, really great as 2018 is coming to a close to have all of this excitement taking place. And like I said, it's just a really great anticipation of that moment. And then when when it does strike midnight and 2019 has begun, there is just a, a lot of jubilation and a lot of excitement. So it's it's going to be another great New Year's Eve and only New York City can do it this way. I would well, yeah. I'm just thinking the the crowds and and the whole logistics that goes in behind it. But you've been doing it for years and years, so you you must have a down pat on what you need to do to move that many people around and make them all happy. Well, absolutely. We've got one of the best police forces in the world, so people can feel safe. Um, they've got the, the crowds uh, organized in such a way that uh, is actually quite organized and, and uh, seamless. And then, of course, when everything is done, um, we've got a great sanitation department that's able to clean everything up in a very orderly way and make, uh, make sure that the city gets back on its feet and uh, can resume its normal business. So um, it is a, a, a very um, celebrated event, but it's one that's done with uh, a lot of care and organization and a lot of support from the city of New York. And they just do a fantastic job. Like I said, from NYPD to the sanitation people, they do just a a great job to make sure this is an event to remember. Mm -hmm. Is it an all-day affair? Does it start, like, I don't know, around noon and people start going for lunch and then there's little things happening? Uh, When do the festivities really begin? The festivities, I mean, people start lining Times Square in the early afternoon, and it's one of those things that if you want to get a good position, you have to get there early. So um, you do have to prepare for that. And then, you know, things start getting underway, you know, as the clock gets closer to midnight. So, but it's a matter of, like I say, getting into those areas um, ahead of time and making sure that you have the right seat. And if you (laughs) want to get close to the action, you've got to get there early. I guess like anything else. Yeah, you've got to get there early and uh, and be able to to stand out in the in in the cold um, for a long period of time. But I think people don't mind that at all. Like you said, it's a bucket list mm-hmm. opportunity, and it's um, when you're there. And I was there one year. I was at a party right nearby um, at the Marriott Marquis, which is just right there in the heart of Times Square, and they brought us out to see the festivities in Times Square. And it was just unbelievable to see the excitement. And you have people from all over the world that come. And I think that's part of the experience of visiting New York is the people that you encounter in the destination. And mm-hmm. so that's going to be very, very exciting. But as we talk about 2019, um, you know, for people that can't make it for 2019 uh, for the New Year's Eve celebration, 2019 is going to be a monumental year for New York City. So don't worry if you can't make it for New Year's Eve. Next year will be a great year to visit the destination if you can make it here. Well, well, yeah, I was just going to say, uh, there's lots of things going on in two, 2019 for New York City. If you're visiting, let's touch on a few of them. Uh, what are some of the highlights? Well, we've got the largest private real estate development in the history of the U.S. opening just west of Times Square, where the ball will drop. And it's called Hudson Yards. And it's on the far west side, on the Hudson River. And it will be a mixed-use project, including retail and dining. Um, it also includes this new uh, climbable um, urban landmark called Vessel, which was designed by the British designer Thomas Heatherwick. And it will be sort of our version of the Eiffel Tower. People will be able to climb this structure and really see uh, New York City from a new 
perspective. Um, it's very exciting. It will also be right nearby uh, something that we're calling The Shed, which is a multi-arts center dedicated to global displays of visual arts, design, and media. And that's a building that literally moves on wheels and will house all these wonderful um, cultural programming opportunities throughout the year. So this is kind of the new neighborhood of New York City. Um, it will eventually include the tallest outdoor observation deck in New York. Um, like I said, a lot of retail like Neiman Marcus um, coming to the city for the first time. A lot of great restaurants. Um, Jose Andres is opening a Spanish food hall. So it's really a city within a city. They have literally built on the on the, um, the rail yards um, on the far west side of Manhattan to create this entirely new neighborhood. Um, there will be a new hotel there as well um, by the fitness brand Equinox. Um, and so it's focusing on wellness. So it's very, very exciting to see this. Um, in addition to that, in Midtown, the Museum of Modern Art is going through an expansion. And uh, that will include, uh, increase the gallery space by 30% and will enhance public spaces. Um, we also have a new Statue of Liberty Museum coming up on Liberty Island, expected to debut next May. And um, that is part of a continued revitalization of Lower Manhattan with the Seaport District going through an overhaul as well. Um, and then the big thing that we're very excited about, which really reflects the diversity of New York, is we are getting ready to host the a World Pride Celebration, which is the first time this big event will be held in the U.S. It was held in Toronto a few years ago, and we're thrilled that New York City is the backdrop. Um, it will, we're expecting about 3 million people over the 30-day period, um, and the big event itself will be the last weekend of June. But it's very, very exciting. This, uh, this will coincide also with the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising, which was a pivotal moment in LGBTQ history. So mm. we are expecting um, LGBTQ people their friends, their allies, their families to come to New York City next year. And we're encouraging people that can't come for the actual World Pride festivities in June to consider making New York City um, a visit for what we're calling the Year of Pride. Mm -hmm. And there'll be several events going on throughout the year. Uh, a lot of our cultural organizations will be doing special programming. But this is a very exciting moment to really um, celebrate the diversity of New York. Um, that's something that we're really, really proud of. And so it's going to be an exciting year on that front. Um, but a lot going on next year. Um, definitely uh, a vibrant time to be in the city. And really, it's the new New York. If you haven't been to New York in the last few years, you're really missing out because there's just so much going on here that it's almost like a new destination. Well, it's almost overwhelming. <laughs> you really, if you're going there for, uh, you know, four or five days or something like that, you really have to plan ahead if you, not to be disappointed in, in a certain attraction or event that you want to see, right? You do have to plan ahead. Um, I think there's something for everybody. We've got five boroughs brimming with so many opportunities. Um, I think people, Canadians in particular, have been to New York. Um, they're very familiar with it, and they're looking for maybe something new, something more authentic. And we offer so many great opportunities um, to discover a different side of the destination, so that's exciting. And if you're also looking to save a lot of money and you're not looking to, to break the bank, we also have um, the NYC Winter Outing, which is coming up in January in February, and that is when three of our signature marketing programs will all be aligned. We'll be offering uh, NYC Broadway Week, NYC Restaurant Week, and NYC Must See Week. Um, and for Broadway and Must See, that means two for one theater oh, at our nice. Broadway theaters. Yeah. Uh, it selects shows and two for one at attractions and museums. And then you combine that with a two course lunch for $26 or a three course dinner for $42 and you've got great savings. So that's running from January 21 through February 10th. 
Perfect. Well, it's just a great opportunity to extra, uh, experience extraordinary value. Yeah, well, and your website is a, a great place to begin a, a trip to New York City. It's nycgo.com. There's maps and guides, there's attraction passes, there's tickets and deals, there's basic info. So that's a good place to start, right? Absolutely. It's great for itinerary planning and just getting the updates on the destination. Chris Haywood is the Senior Vice President of Global Communication for New York City and Company. Again, that website, nycgo.com. We could probably talk for a couple of hours on the things you can do in New York City, but uh, time is our enemy here. We'll have to have you back on. That's all, Chris, right? Thank you so much. It's great to talk to you. We welcome everyone to New York and look forward to seeing you next year. And that is this week's Informed Traveler podcast. I want to thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, take a minute, rate the show, leave us a review, and tell a friend about the podcast. And if you want to drop me a line, my email address is randy at theinformedtraveler.ca. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler, or you can follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler.com.